All right, well, go ahead and be seated. Uh, so yeah, uh, this morning uh, I have probably a lot of information for you, and depending on who you are, uh, depending on what you've been doing or, or not doing, perhaps, it will come across as an exhortation uh, or even a rebuke, and, uh, and either way is okay, um, at least from my perspective. Uh, I get rebuked all the time, and uh, it's something we just have to take. But, uh, you know, Paul commanded pastors to exhort and rebuke with all long-suffering and teaching. And uh, so I'm going to do that this morning. Uh, He even says that uh, the the pastoral duty is to warn every man and teach every man in all wisdom that we might present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's Colossians 1.28. We've already been in Hebrews 13, where uh, the author says that the... Those who rule over you in the Lord, uh, it's their job to watch out for your soul. And uh, we're gonna, I'm going to exercise, I think, that uh, principle this morning. Uh, I believe I do all the time, uh, but I think that some current issues has, um, is making us address things differently, perhaps, but always coming back to the same source. Um, I was speaking to a young couple that came up from Vancouver. I did their wedding uh, months ago probably told you the story. I was in control of the rings and I left them in my safe in my office and I got all the way through the ceremony and it dawned on me. And uh, it was a good crowd though. (laughs) And we're we're all still friends, amazingly. But uh, so I had to flee to my office and run back and distribute the rings. So anyway, it's a good humbling moment. But uh, they were, after the sermon, they said, you know, um, It's pretty amazing. Everything that you were addressing is exactly what we face every day uh, in our work environment and in uh, all of our social contexts. And uh, and we were talking that, you know, people in Centralia probably really only know about all of the other stuff that's going on because of the media and because of social media. And, uh, but the problem is, is that it's affecting people. And rather, I think it's infecting and contaminating uh, so many things that it, it shouldn't be. But so I want to talk about some of those issues, some of the things with the mainstream media, uh, social media, where I believe, you know, it's two platforms where disinformation and stupidity thrive. And it's going on like mad. People are confused. Uh, people are afraid. They're frustrated. As we've watched on TV, people are outraged. Uh, it's over race issues. It's over political things. Uh, And then we have in the mix of all that, we have the coronavirus. We have monuments being thrashed. We have uh, politics in sports. And now we have politics uh, and race in the, the, uh, the marketplace with brand names and things like that. I'm sure you've seen some of that. And uh, you're just scratching your head thinking, what is going on? And um, speaking to Aaron Strobach, our missionary in Kenya, just talking about the effectiveness of social media and how even there people are getting upset and angry (laughs) and they have no context to go from. But uh, just the way that it sucks you in and uh, hijacks your brain and uh, and then you're you're lost in this, in their train of thought, thinking their thoughts. And and, uh, it's, it's very strange. And so social media, I think, is the probably the biggest danger that we have where people are being indoctrinated into stupidity and then they're propagating it uh, over and over. They're reposting uh, the same stuff 
they have no uh, context themselves, really, and uh, they're out, it's outside of their experience, but the rage is reproduced in them, the confusion, the insanity, and uh, it's just, it's, I think it's going way too far, especially within the community of Christ. And when I, and I'm probably gonna, I, I never post on Facebook, and uh, I usually read a little bit just to get a feel for the culture, but what I've found is that really what's happening is I'm becoming, it's becoming like a water fountain for gossip and slander. And, you know, Solomon talks a lot about uh, even entertaining that stuff. And so I think, I think I'm done. And, uh, and I feel like I'm spying on people. You know, when you read their posts and, and you're thinking to yourself, uh, are, you, are you in your right mind when you say that stuff? And, and uh, do you really, I, I just, it's, it's crazy. And then, you know, the next day or, or the next week or whatever, you see them. And the last thing you remember about them is this thing that they said. And it's like, how do I engage with you honestly now, knowing what you believe and how you've uh, spilled your venom out on people? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Some of you, those that are on Facebook, you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, but you probably watch some media or you've been downtown and people are talking about uh, all of that stuff, and uh, it, it really is getting uh, to be something. And, uh, you know, it, when it comes to uh, social media, it's not that there's no truth that is being communicated on those platforms. It's just that when you see uh, truth being communicated there, it's being shouted down. It's being ignored. And, uh, but I think the biggest problem is that uh, it's not being communicated well. It's not being communicated well enough. And for the majority of Christians, uh, it really has become a, a platform for ungodliness, uh, for slander, uh, for divisiveness, for self-righteousness, which only in the end is contributing uh, to everything that's going on. And I believe, as I've encountered these things, that what it communicates to the world is really how unchristlike we are. And, uh, and that's a bad thing. Uh, you remember David when uh, David committed adultery and, and uh, he murdered Uriah. And God said to him, you have given place for the Gentile to blaspheme by your actions, by the things you've done. And I believe that Facebook is creating that same type of uh, attitude with the world. And, uh, and I believe that it's totally unnecessary. Most Christians who think that they have the skill to communicate well and be winsome on those platforms, they are delusional. Uh, I've read enough posts to know that the, the mass, the majority of Christians, they just don't have that skill. And it's not being, it's not helpful. Um, they're well intended, but it's not received well. But when the truth is put out there, uh, maybe you've noticed that it's more like uh, throwing a grenade into, into the public arena. It's really not intended to, uh, to heal, it's meant to hurt, it's meant to get back at people. Uh, it's just there disagreeing. And, uh, and, the, and what you, you've set out to disprove them, but you never disprove them. And it just perpetuates argument and all the stuff that's going on. Uh, typically, sadly, the language used is not gracious. And if we have any mandate in the scripture about speech, it is to be gracious. It must be gracious. Paul said, he said, walk in wisdom. I think that's a little important. Toward those who are outside now, those who are outside are unbelievers. So walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, 
seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Colossians 4, uh, 5, and 6. And then Paul told Titus, he said, In all things, show yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Titus 2, 7 through 8. When I was a roofing contractor, I would read that text frequently uh, because the kinds of people that I worked with, uh, they can really bring the best out of you. But the Lord was always reminding me that always, but especially in this context, I had to be aware of myself that sound speech uh, that could not be condemned. Uh, I wanted every guy that I came into contact with uh, that was a non-believer, who was a heathen, to be unashamed that he couldn't have any language, bad language from me that he could pin on me. And um, yeah, it was super important to me. And um, yeah, and so, you know, it's the same with social media, but you don't have to be on social media. I had to make a living uh, and I actually used it as a platform for evangelism. I got to share my faith with all the, the best kind of people in the world. And it's something I actually miss being in the ministry. Uh, I, I have you people, you know, Everybody knows the Lord. At least that's what we assume in church. But it was nice, uh, even when I was bivocational, because then I'd have all this contact with, with heathens, and I uh, get to preach the gospel. And I still do. It's just my, the majority of my time is with believers. And by the way, that's a super blessing. You guys give me a lot of sanity. But sound speech, uh, it's just not, uh, it's, it's not happening on Facebook, uh, by and large, and it's not uh, being well-received. And so... I believe uh, that most Christians should disengage, disengage from that platform. Uh, There are other ways, uh, other places that are more appropriate to communicate your faith, to state your political views, and uh, it would be more more beneficial. Uh, Most of us, uh, perhaps uh, rather all of us, should be engaging with people personally, and by personal I mean face-to-face, not not with a, a digital screen between us, but in person where it's more intimate, where emotions are uh, more visible, more felt, and communication, there's, there's better dialogue, and uh, there's better understanding, and it's far more fruitful. And so um, I, would, I would encourage you, uh, I would exhort you uh, to uh, disengage from Facebook, from the stupidity, uh, from reading it, from responding to it, and uh, just being outraged by it. I told last service, you know, let's, if you gotta be on Facebook, uh, just post pictures of your food, and let's go back to the good old days, okay? Everybody was getting along, and uh, let's get along on that platform, and then let's engage more intimately with the gospel on other platforms. I think that would be much more glorifying uh, to the Lord. It'd be much more meaningful. Um, Something that I have been telling people that have talked to me about it uh, is that if you feel like the world needs your opinion, uh, you should just know that it doesn't, okay? They don't, uh, which is a great reason not to give it if you're like, I just can't be quiet after they posted that nonsense, uh, that's, that's a good indication that you do need to be quiet. Uh, because what you're going to say is not going to advance the cause of Christ. It's going to create more division between you and that person. And, and, and you guys, I'm sure that many of you have experienced the divisions. Uh, family members are cutting off family members by the way they vote. 
Uh, family members are cutting off family members uh, if, if, if they don't uh, agree with uh, some current movement that's going on right now or just don't want to be a part of any of it. If you try to be neutral, uh, you're a bad guy. Uh, things are really strange right now, and I don't think we should do anything uh, to throw fuel on the fire. Um, yeah, we want to represent the heart of God. Uh, how many of you guys notice, uh, maybe you have this experience, you, you read uh, some news, you watch news. I never watch news. Um, uh, you get on social media, and, uh, and then you, you go outside and, and step into your backyard, and all comes back to normal. You come back to reality. And uh, it's, it's just out in some other strange world, but it's not really uh, right here with us. But we feel like we're getting sucked in to it. And I think that we need to regroup and regain our senses so that we can think better soberly and then uh, engage. So, and by all of that, when I say that we, we, have, we feel a sense of normality when we go into our yard, uh, or even more so in our community rather than other communities, I don't mean to say that there's nothing going on in the world or that nothing should be done, okay? I don't think that we should hide out or that we should ignore it. I think there's plenty going on, uh, but it's, it's always been going on. But with the nature of all of these platforms, we feel like more is going on, and it's just encroaching upon us. Stuff has always been going on, and there's always been things that need to be done. I just do not believe that uh, it should be done there. I think that uh, if, if the rubber's going to meet the road, it's going to begin with our own repentance, and then it's going to be with our neighbors, our community, our coworkers, our friends, and our family. And... Um, and what I've observed in people is that Facebook especially only makes you feel like you're doing something. It only makes you feel like you're doing something. And I believe that if we could actually quantify the positive fruit that's resulted from our influence on the, in those outlets, it would prove to be as fruitful as the fig tree that Jesus cursed in Matthew 21, 19. Totally fruitless, okay? Offers nothing to the Lord. And uh, stay away from it. And, and you know, if we're not bearing fruit, uh, Jesus would say that uh, we're not abiding in him, John 15, 4 through 5. We're not abiding in him. And um, so I think some changes need to be made. Um, yeah, we want to redeem the time, and um, we want to glorify God. So I want to, with that, uh, if, if, if social media is not where we should engage, or if that's not what we should be doing, and that's not how we should be doing things, I think it's always important to look again at what God's agenda is for us and, uh, and be reminded of the simplicity of it, uh, the simplicity. When Jesus, for example, was asked what the great commandment was, that is, what is God's number one priority for man, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. I think that's the one we usually forget. Uh, loving God with all of our mind, and instead we've lost our mind, okay? So in, stated in that text, that's God's first priority for man. Uh, when we love him supremely, that is our greatest achievement. That's it, okay? But Jesus didn't stop there. He, he gave what God's second priority for man is, saying, and you shall love the Lord, I'm sorry, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22, 35 through 40. So second uh, only to loving God is our love for other people. And uh, two things. Can we, can we get two things down? It's pretty simple. Love God supremely. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. 
And the truth is, is if we love God, we'll do works that glorify God. Okay, Matthew 5, 16. Jesus said that your light so shine, okay, doing good works, that men will see them and glorify your, your Father in heaven. Uh, if you love God, Jesus said that we'll obey him. John 14, 15. If you love God, you'll strive by the grace of God to be like him and to represent him in this world. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll do to them what you would have them do to you. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And of course, according to the New Testament, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll share the gospel with them. You know, there's, there's no greater expression of love than to desire their greatest good, which is to have them reconciled to God and then to be spared from the judgment to come. That's loving people, okay? You can love people in many, many ways, but ultimately, the best way to love them is to share the gospel. And so God, he, he, uh, he loved us so much that he sent his son, and we should so love others that we share the gospel of his son. And if you love your neighbors yourself, Paul says that you will uh, have preference for them. He said to the Philippians that you will esteem others, you'll consider others better than yourself. Uh, says something very similar in uh, Romans chapter 12. That's Philippians 2, 3 through 4, and Romans 12, 10. Um, and then I think that what's important in our current context is that Christian love for one's neighbor is nowhere better illustrated than in the parable of the Good Samaritan who cared for someone, who loved someone that hated him, who hated him. Uh, if you're not familiar with the historical context of all that, uh, Jesus sets that whole parable up intentionally so that he can address a number of, uh, of issues. Uh, but the, the truth was is that the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. And it was the Samaritan who the Jew hated that came to the Jews' rescue, loving someone, caring for someone that hated him. That's important. And the story uh, ultimately illustrates what God did for those who hated him. Uh, we hated God. You hated God. I hated him. That's what the Bible says. And then he sent his son to rescue us from our rebellion and from our eternal ruin. That's Romans 5, 6 through 11. We who are his enemies, enemies through sin. And in spite of that, he sent his son to rescue us. And so the inescapable truth is this. We cannot be like God until we love those who hate us. And we love them like we love ourselves, doing to them what we would want them to do to us. The command of Jesus can never be ignored by his people. He said, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You think it could be more direct and specific? They're your enemies. They curse you. They hate you. They spitefully use you, and they persecute you. And you are to love them. You're to bless them, do good to them, and pray for them. And then he says, in order that you might become like your father in heaven. He says, you're, become sons of your father in heaven, which is a figure of speech that means to become like, to become like. And Jesus, not Jesus rather, but his father, he says that he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. That's verse 44 of Matthew 5. So God, who does good to the evil and the wicked, he says for us to do that, so that we can become like him, so that we can become like him. Jesus says, so that you may be, do these things, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. So we must love our enemies as we love ourselves. You know, if we react, as is our tendency, to the crazy things in the world, 
all that it throws at us, what we're going to do is we're really going to make things up as we go. We're going to engage them the way that we feel that we ought to. We're going to do it our way. As the people of God, though, our duty is to search the scriptures and to seek the face of God in order really to discover his heart, his perspective, his purpose, and his prescription, his prescription, his directive in regard to all things. But the problem is right now, too many believers, what they're doing in all of these different outlets is they're assigning to God what his perspective ought to be and how he ought to direct his church. It's craziness. We're so arrogant and so ignorant that we believe that God should see things our way and do things our way. And there's a way that God responds to this in the scriptures. He says, you only thought that I was altogether like you. You only thought, he says, but I will rebuke you. Psalm 50, verse 21. Yeah. So many people are not grounded in the scriptures. And so they're being tossed to and fro by uh, the latest social cause and the political movements that are going on. And so my encouragement to you is let us be good children and consult our daddy on what we should do. David says, I have, I have more understanding than all my teachers because your testimonies are my meditation. Psalm 119, 99. Did you hear that? I have more understanding than all my teachers because your testimonies, that is, your word is my meditation. David had such a good understanding of God's word, he was really more informed about reality and better equipped than his teachers to engage it. Psalm 119, 99. So being informed out of God's word is how we understand. It's how we navigate and engage with all the insanity that's going on out there. Okay? If there's an issue, you guys, the word addresses it. Okay? It addresses it. But you got to be in the word. So with some of that said, because of some of the other things that are going on, I'd like to address uh, the issue of race and racism um, out of the scriptures. Okay? Out of the scriptures. And, you know, it seems strange uh, that we, that this discussion in the context of the church should be necessary, but as I've been engaging with people, uh, especially our young people, they are being pulled. They're being confused, and uh, they really don't know how to respond to some of this stuff. Some of the adults are too, but it's definitely with our young people, and uh, I believe it needs to be addressed. I would start off by saying that race and racism uh, are inventions of man. Race is an invention of man, okay? Racism, of course, is inspired by the devil to divide humanity, to destroy us. Uh, racism has existed from uh, early on in man's history. I'm hearing talk right now that, that racism was invented by America, uh, by white America. It's crazy talk. And um, uh, it's, it's been around forever. Even those who uh, claim to be the people of God have been racist toward various people groups at different times in history. But God himself only knows one race, and he hates racism. He hates it. Um, God only knows one race because he only created one race. And therefore, only one race can exist. Okay? You know what race that is? It's the human race. That's right. Yeah, we're one race consisting of different shades of brown. Uh, you remember, uh, Adam named his wife Eve. Remember why? She's the mother of all living. The mother of all living. Other than Adam, all humanity was brought into the world through Eve. I've heard people say, no, 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 no. There was other people created besides Adam and Eve in the beginning. I mean, where did, it, where did Cain get his wife? 
Well, we don't like the answer, <laughs> but he got his wife from, his wife was his sister uh, because all people came through Eve. You know, people were marrying their sisters and their cousins for a very long time after the creation. Uh, uh, Abraham married his half-sister, okay? And uh, they did this until at least, you know, until it started causing problems, and then God began to regulate it in the law of Moses, okay? But all people came through Eve, and so all the information that God stored in their uh, DNA collectively accounts for all the variety that we see in humanity today, which is really a tapestry of God's beauty, his creativity, and his imagination. And I'm not saying that because I'm married to somebody that's brown and beautiful. Uh, well, maybe a little bit. But uh, it's just the truth, you know. Uh, and what's interesting is that all of this, this beauty that had emerged from diversity came as a result of the Tower of Babel when God confused the languages. You know, people with common languages, they naturally congregated together because they could communicate and by congregating together, it isolated certain traits and characteristics found in their genetic sequence, which I think is great. And when you isolate a given gene pool long enough, the dominant features rise to the surface until you ultimately have colors and features that are similar. That's what you get. That's why people from certain geographic locations look the way they do, because they were separated, isolated. And now we have all of this variety, and this is God's doing, and it should be marvelous to us marvelous. Okay. It's a product of his creativity, all of which is out of everyone's hands. As when Jeremiah asked a rhetorical question, he said, can the Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Jeremiah 13, 23. He can't. Yeah. So even with all of the variety that we see in the world, there's only one race, the race that God created in his sacred image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And so the truth is, any attack on any human being is an attack on what? The image of God. That's what it's an attack on. Okay? It's an assault on his image. The conflict between the differing shades of brown then is satanic. You know, he hates everything created in God's image. Everything. Okay? He loves to create discord and chaos among men. But none of that changes the reality that there's just one race. When Paul was in Athens... He was speaking to a group of people who believed themselves to be superior to others. And he said, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Acts 17, 24 through 28. From one blood, from one body of DNA, God has made all of us. So there's one race there are different shades of brown, different shades of brown, and that's it. Different features, all the same color on the inside, one race. And God, as we learn from the scriptures, he's equally interested in all people groups. The Great Commission is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 19. The Greek, for, the Greek word for nations is ethnos, people groups, people groups. Preaching the gospel 
And discipleship in the faith is in, to include every ethnicity on the planet. Paul said that he is a debtor to both Greeks and barbarians, Romans 1.14. You see, to the Jew, everyone who was not a Jew was a Gentile. There was Jews to them, and there was everybody else. No matter what they were, they were a Gentile. But to the Greeks, everyone else was a barbarian. And what they meant was they were a foreigner. They didn't speak Greek. They were foreigners. Paul says, to these I am a debtor. Everybody that's not Greek, I am a debtor. And to all of them belongs the gospel. I think one of the most beautiful things that we see in prophecy is from John is what we see in heaven. And John said this, he says, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, ethnos, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Revelation chapter seven, verse nine through 10. For all of these people, Christ died. And in order to get the gospel to them, many missionaries have given their lives. Yeah, the love of God was born in the missionaries and they were compelled to go and to rescue all that Christ had died for, that they would leave none recovered and we are among them, equal to them, all broken, all in need of the gospel, but all are created in the image of God. So therefore, racism, race supremacy, race oppression, and of more recently, race shaming. Race shaming is an attack on God's image in man, and it's assaulting what he holds most dear, his image. Okay? That's why murder, abortion, slander, and racism are wicked. Wicked. Okay? So... I think it's pretty simple, the moral of the story. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself, amen. And there's no context where that should not be the case. So in whatever dealings we have with our fellow man, this should be uh, the rule of engagement, the rule, okay? But sadly, uh, racism exists, always has. It will continue until what Jesus calls the regeneration, when our sin nature is removed, of course, it won't just remove racism, it'll remove any manifestation of sin. Racism is not something true only of white people, it's true of brown people and every shade between, okay? Uh, racism, of course, didn't start in America, it started when sin entered the world. Uh, nearly every people group has thought themselves to be superior to every other people group and has justified their mistreatment of other people groups because of it. It's happened. Even though God condemned the mistreatment of foreigners in his law, uh, that is, people of other people groups, the Jews thought themselves superior to everyone else. And later in history, they began to hate and discriminate and mistreat other people groups. Even the Samaritans, who were half Jews, to them, they were not Jewish enough. Okay? Jews would not tra travel through Samaria. When the, when the feasts would come up, the Jews in, in, the, in the Galilee up north would cross over the river on the east side, travel all the way down across from Jericho and go back into Judea, or go into Judea just to avoid Samaritans until Jesus came along, who knows no racial boundaries. And he told the guys, he said, we're going through Samaria. It must have been quite the shock to them. Yeah, it's crazy stuff, crazy stuff. If you've been to Israel today, uh, you know that many of the ultra-Orthodox Jews are still racist today. They're still racist, self-righteous. But people haven't just mistreated other people groups. The reality is they've also mistreated their own people. Uh, and this has been going on forever. 
Uh, some Greek philosophers believe that slaves were a race of people. They were a race. They believed that gods, the, the gods created slaves to serve the higher race, even when those slaves were Greek. The, those considered the best thinkers in world history said that Greek people among them were created for slavery, a whole race. It's strange. Today, in America, the vast majority of crime is committed interracially, interracially. That is, white people injure and kill more white people than other races injure and kill white people. The same is true for black people. More black people injure and kill black people than other races injure and kill them. One statistic that I think is so strange, but I guess it shouldn't be to me, is that gay and transgender people hurt and kill more transgender people than anyone else. But in the media, we see that it's called homophobia, but it's very few and far between compared to them injuring each other. It's very strange. Now, what is more relevant and current for us is this social intimidation aimed at white people. Now, I bring this up because we always have a tendency to show preference. I'm not allowed to show preference to any buddy or any group. And uh, so I want to bring this up because I think it puts a strange spin on some of the bizarre things that are going on. Okay. This, and, and what is even bizarre more with this is that white people are perpetuating it. According to this movement, all white people uh, have what they call white privilege and all white people are racist by virtue of their skin color. We're racist by virtue of our skin color. One political commentator said uh, that he uh, cannot see how any white American who was raised in America could not be racist. Yeah. Um, so according to him and many others, all white Americans raised in America are racist. And if you don't know you're racist, you're just ignorant. Is how this is being communicated. And then out of this is growing a movement where white people are being shamed for their whiteness and made to feel bad for it. And so what many white people are doing is apologizing to black people for their white privilege and for how their ancestors mistreated and enslaved black people. Now this is one of those things that I thought would come and go, but it's picking up momentum, okay? And it's supposed to be helpful. It's supposed to be helpful. And to get us on this path of healing uh, over this hurt between whites and blacks. But, uh, but let me tell you what's, what's actually happening is this. White people are now feeling better about themselves for paying their penance and for their virtuous apology. And now they're going back to what they always do, caring only for themselves. That's what they're doing. While the, black, or, while the, the real challenges in many black communities like poverty, poor education, drugs, and fatherless homes are going to experience no real change. And that's a tragedy. Okay? And the people who are truly racist will go on being racist. And they'll never feel bad for it. That's what's going to happen. And that's what's happening. Okay? And with movements like uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, the wedge between blacks and whites is getting worse and worse. Okay? And the challenges in black communities because of them is getting worse and worse. You know, second to the gospel, these black communities... They need families that are fully intact with fathers in the home. But what these communities need most and have the least of is what Black Lives Matter is against. They're against it. They're against it. Their stated mission is to dismantle the nuclear family. That's their mission. That's their mission. Okay. And they don't have far to go. On their official website under what we believe is a creed and it's, it's everything that is anti-biblical. And when you read it, you, it dawns on you that this is a black, secular, humanistic movement. And then lately, 
uh, they were criticized for not having a, a real ideology. And they came out and they said, oh no, we're trained in Marxism. That's what they're boasting about now. We're trained in Marx, uh, Marxism. That is crazy. If they get their way, they will make black lives worse. And so this is not a movement to join or to sympathize with. Okay? As I mentioned to first service, I, I had just assumed that evangelical leaders had the biblical discernment to, to separate themselves from this. But I have seen Calvary chapels with um, Black Lives Matter signs and going along with this, which, which really bugs me bad. And I've had to stay off Facebook. <laughs> but it's nuts. But with all that comes across through mainstream media and social media, you know, current events and the rest, Christians who are well-intended they're feeling the pressure to take a side. They're feeling the, the social pressure uh, to, to join something, okay? to take a stand, to have a position, to adopt a cause, or to feel bad for something, or feel empowered for something, to whatever. You know, they're not sure which cause to serve or who they should belong to. You guys, of all people on the planet, we should be the last ones doing that. We should be the last ones. As Paul was sailing to Rome as a prisoner, he said to everyone on the ship, last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. Acts 27, 23. That statement in passing is very important to us. Paul declared that he belonged to God and it was God that he served. I belong to him and he's the one I serve. It didn't matter what Paul, uh, that he was a prisoner. It didn't matter that Paul was being persecuted. It didn't matter that he'd been wrongly accused. It didn't matter that Paul was a minority. It didn't matter that Paul was in peril. And he was in peril, okay? All that mattered was that he belonged to God and that it was God that he served in every context, in every situation, in every circumstance. And so really, we should be unaffected by all the social pressure out there when it comes to who we belong to and to whose cause we serve. We serve the Lord God and we take our marching orders from him. And that's it. And what he says our world really needs is for us to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all peoples, and then to live the gospel out to its completion wherever we are. And I think that that is the biggest problem that we have in society. We have some preaching, we have some discipling, but we don't have this living out the gospel to its completion. I think that churches have failed to do long-term investment, long-term investment, We've often gone to places, we've preached the gospel, and then we leave, which is just reckless abandonment. And we do not see that model in the scriptures. You see, long-term discipleship uh, by, is in the scriptures is by means of church planting. Church planting. Remaining with people long-term to develop a community long-term that is shaped by the scriptures. I think that when we look at so many problems in the world where the gospel has been, it hasn't been there long-term. It hasn't. We haven't created communities that are in line with the scriptures and it's hurting people. I think there are many social ills. I think there are many political problems, okay? But we're the ones who are called by heaven to remedy most of this stuff as best we can. So I, I think that there are other contributions to the problems, but I think that our failure to be long-term has caused many, many more, okay? Now, as far as we are concerned, uh, here in this community, uh, God has primarily called us 
here to this area, and then secondarily to places like Kenya, Peru, and of late, Libya. And I'm very excited about all of that. And the truth is we pray for the church globally, but this is our focus. I have to trust that God has called other people elsewhere to impact those areas. Because the pressure that, you know, I feel probably some of the same pressure that you guys do, but as a pastor, the pressure I get is to be involved in everything else. What do you mean you're not involved in this? Well, I don't live in Chicago, but I do trust that God has people in Chicago to take care of that. He's called me here, okay, to address my community with the gospel through discipleship and long-term stuff, okay? This is our area, and our influence is in Kenya and Peru and, and Libya. But the truth is we want to do um, a few things well rather than a whole bunch of things poorly. And if we get too spread out, nothing good will get done, okay? Nothing good. And so I, my exhortation to you guys is that, of course, not to get pulled away, but here to stay the course and be faithful with, with where God has placed us um, and to be creative and to do it. So if you uh, have been on Facebook and you just know that there's no fruit, but you're just enjoying the getting them, please get off, okay? Find another platform to be productive, to be useful for the glory of God. If you're being pulled to and fro by all this stuff, remember who you belong to, remember who you serve, okay? Get back in the word, regroup, and get back to what you ought to be doing, okay? Be with people individually. And uh, I know... um, It is kind of like the twilight zone when you walk into a store right now. Nobody's looking at each other, even when you're in each other's way. I would encourage you, with your mask on, just step right in their way and engage. (laughs) Make make their day. Uh, I'm I don't know if I'm obnoxious or not, but I intentionally go out of my way to interrupt people's progress in the grocery store and engage with them. And every conversation I have usually ends with a, with a thank you for talking. And uh, we just have so many good things that we can be doing, engaging one-on-one. And um, so don't forget hu- your humanity. Um, engage with people, okay? Go ahead and stand up and we'll pray. Uh, you may have a thousand questions for me. Uh, you may be upset with me, all of which we can deal with face-to-face, amen? At six feet apart. <laughs> Let's pray. Well, Lord, I think we've been saying for a while now, ever since the lockdown, that this really is an opportunity for your people to shine. And then the protests began and the riots and the lawlessness and the looting and the political movements and all of this stuff, Lord, and just too many people have lost their heads. And I just pray that, Lord, if there are any among us who are caught up in that, that you'd reel them back in You'd, as David said, you'd, you'd put their feet on a wide spot. You'd stabilize them. You'd help them to be sober-minded and uh, to know who they belong to and receive their directive fresh. And, uh, and Lord, give them a good vision. And Lord, I pray for people that just in their pride are interacting in social platforms that are unhealthy. I pray that they'd humble themselves, they'd disengage, and they would engage elsewhere where it's glorifying to you, where it's helpful, where it's productive. And, uh, and Lord, I just pray for your church that day by day as things change and things get weird, that we would have discernment, we'd have grace, and Lord, truly that we would love you 
uh, by loving other people and um, that we'd be engaging with the gospel. Lord, help us to be committed to where you've placed us and to put our efforts there. And Lord, to be committed in prayer uh, for other places that are coming apart at the scenes. And um, so, yeah, so we pray for your church universal, Lord, that you endow them with your spirit and they would be effective in everything that they do and their preaching, their discipling, their ministering, and their loving, Lord. So, Lord, thank you for the opportunities that we have now in our community and help us to be good stewards there. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I encourage you, uh, read through the book of Galatians uh, as many times as you can. Uh, I've been reading through, I'll keep reading through. Uh, read it through in one sitting if you can. Uh, that really is the best way to absorb the, the whole picture of the book. And then we'll come together and we'll get into it. Love you guys. Lord bless you.